listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Chris Lytle. Chris is one of the nation's preeminent sales trainers. He has made more than 2,300 presentations to radio broadcast sales professionals throughout his career. He wrote the best-selling book, The Accidental Salesperson, and followed that up with The Accidental Sales Manager. He even trained me on how to sell radio in 1987. Chris, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about how a political science major wanting to be a radio news reporter ended up being a sales guru, let me ask, what is in your morning cup? Usually uh, Dunkin' Black Coffee. Caffeinated? I brew myself, yeah, caffeinated. Brew yourself in the drip. Yep. Every morning? Every morning. How many? Two. Then you're done. Done. Well, good. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And to give a little background, we met in 1987 when I attended your Radio 101 seminar in Memphis, Tennessee. I think it was actually at the airport Hilton or an airport hotel. That's where we did them. Yeah. Flying for the day at the airport Hilton Hotel. So I was working in a family business, decided I did not want to do that the rest of my life and was looking for another job. And I... I wanted to be in advertising, and I talked to some advertising agencies. But all that time, and this is 1987 before News Talk was cool, I was still a News Talk radio listener because I was a salesperson. I was out driving in my car. So I took a job with a News Talk radio station, and they put me with Radio 101 Seminar. And that's really what was able to teach me the basics of selling. It was Radio Sales 101, and we came up with that on a trip somewhere. We'd moved from an office we were subletting, and we moved to this bigger office, and Sarah really didn't tell me we were doing this, and we went from $200 rent to $800 rent. <laughs> I said, what? And, and she said, well, we're in a real estate building, and they have a training room, and they'll let us use the training room a couple times a month. And I said, there's a lot of turnover in radio, so we could do a basic training course and call it Radio Sales 101. And yeah, charge $101 for it. <laughs> I could have 80 people in that seminar. I could have 12 and I could still make money. And so it was a nice little cash cow. But uh, I did that over 450 times. It was a great seminar too. There were two things I took away on it. it was One was selling the intangible in your system of having a calendar and a stamp, which pretty much gave someone rather than saying your spots are going to run in their puffs of air, Something they could see. Yep. Every time, we call it the rubber stamp presentation. Yes, yes. And you stamp the person's name every hour they were on. Yeah. And say, every time you see your name, you're going to have a commercial, and your name's in the commercial eight times, and you're going to get your name out there. That was highly effective. And the second one, which advertising sales professionals are always challenged with, is, well, how are you going to show me this works? And you shared some copy that you had written for a client who had a big warehouse sale. We're opening our new warehouse and we're going to have a warehouse sale. And this is radio copy. And in the copy was wear your sneakers or soft soled shoes because we've got new floors and we don't want to mark them up. You'll be shopping in American TV's giant warehouse. Please wear rubber soled shoes and dress warmly. Yeah, dress warmly. <laughs> yeah. So that way when they came in, they could go, oh, yeah. <laughs> You obviously heard our ads. Yeah, and it worked perfectly. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your career, because I know you probably didn't wake up when you were 15 and said, I want to be a sales trainer. 
You grew up in Ohio. Was the Cleveland area? I went to school in the Cleveland area college, and I grew up in Newark, Ohio. Okay. And where is Newark? Newark is central Ohio, uh, 30 miles east of Columbus, just off I-70. So you grew up in Ohio, went to school in Ohio. At that time, you weren't looking at radio. What did you want to do? I thought I'd be a politician, a minister, or a lawyer. And the only thing those jobs have in common is you've got to speak in public. I never knew there was a career called public speaking. I remember we had a speaker come to our radio group after I'd moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and the general manager of our station said, uh, hand the speaker his check. And the envelope wasn't sealed. And so I, I looked inside and I said, holy mackerel, <laughs> professional speaking. Uh, that would be fun. Yeah, who would have yeah. thunk that? Yeah. But you were a political science major in school, right? Yep. And you interned in Congress. I interned in Congress, and I was sending little reports back to the radio station in Newark, and I you know, just would go to the congressional recording studio and record a little piece for the station, and I thought I'd come back and get a news job. Mm -hmm. And the general manager says, well, we don't need another newsman. And I, they were all newsmen. He said, but I could put you on sales. And I said, but I'm a political science major. And then he said, well, uh, you can read and write and probably research things. You'll, you'll be able to do this. And I loved it. That was your foot in the yeah, door. Well, I thought I'd get my foot in the door and work my way into news. And I looked at, in you know, a small market radio, I looked at the news director's car, and it was an <laughs> eight-year-old Chevy Vega. Yeah. And the sales manager had a new Cadillac. And I said, well, maybe sales is the place to be. And I got pretty good at it and enjoyed it and then moved on to Madison, Wisconsin. And talk about how that evolved. You started the radio station, you started selling, had some success. Mm -hmm. What caused you to move to Madison? Um my first wife needed to get a master's degree in speech pathology. And uh, the Weissman Center at the University of Wisconsin was a place to be, and there were two or three places. And I saw an ad in, remember Broadcasting Magazine? Oh, yeah. I saw an ad that said, and this is when you could say things like this, young, aggressive, problem-solving salesman needed. And uh, I saw that, and I said, let's go to Madison, Wisconsin. So you started selling in Madison for small market radio. Yeah, 100th market. You sold for that station for how long, or did you go in as sales manager? I went in in sales, and I was promoted to sales manager in two years or so. I was there five or six years. But you left to go work for a client. Yeah, I went to work for American TV and Furniture, and that was a crazy TV Lenny who was doing a crazy TV Eddie impersonation from New York, and he's in mm -hmm. Madison's, yelling and screaming, radio commercials. And one day he said to me, what would it cost to be the biggest radio advertiser in Madison, Wisconsin? And I called up the five or six stations, and, and I came back to him, and I said, if you would spend, this is the 1975 or six, so I said, if you would spend $3,000 a week, you'd be bigger than anybody. That's, that's a pretty good budget today. <laughs> yeah, but, he said, but that's on all the stations. And he said, that's only two full-page ads in the paper. Let's do it. <laughs> so it was a real experience. It was a great ride. Yeah. But you didn't start out to be a radio salesperson. And what I'm trying to get to is the accidental salesperson. Is that a bit autobiographical? It's pretty autobiographical because when I got to the radio station in Newark and I started selling, and then they sent me to a five-day seminar mm -hmm. that was put on by the Radio Advertising Bureau. And my boss said, uh, I'll pay for it. This is five days, 500 bucks back then. I'll pay for it. But you've got to drive out there and pay for the gas. I said, deal. 
And he said, if you leave within a year, I want that money back. (laughs) And so I paid him $500 when I left. But uh, I learned all about consultative selling, and I learned how to write a proposal. And I started doing things in Newark, Ohio, that no one had done. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when I got back, there was the guy next to me in the office, and it was an open office, and he smoked a Winston and a Salem. One after the other. One in each hand. Yeah, it, well, two ashtrays, and, and he just rotate them. And he said, what'd you learn at that <coughs> seminar they, <laughs> they, they sent you to? And I said, Tom, I learned how to do consultative selling and write written proposals. And he, he just looks at me and he says, Chris, this market's different. <laughs> Every market is. <laughs> Every market's different. <laughs> he said, nobody will sit still for a consult, we call it the consultant sale, mm-hmm. you know, to a discovery meeting. He said, they just won't sit still for that. A written proposal, forget about that. And so about four or five weeks later, he walked in and he said, how'd you sell Ron Klein Buick? I hear him seven times a day. Nobody could sell that guy. How'd you do it? And I said, Tom, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Because I just did everything I learned in at the seminar. And Ron Klein sat still for- and Ron for- Klein and- he wanted to sell cars, and I wanted to help him sell cars, and he could tell. I mean, that's the intention. Intention has to be to help someone get what they want. Yeah. In that example, the all Ron Klein cared about is how many cars am I going to sell? <laughs> right. So you considered yourself the accidental salesperson and got into a career that you didn't really expect to get into. What made you stay in it? Well, I was only in the radio business for that six or seven years, and then I went to work for my biggest client as a buyer. And there were so many people calling on me. I counted 162 people called on me. And we were advertising in Milwaukee and Upper Peninsula of Michigan and doing all this stuff. And the, the approach of these salespeople was so bad. I said, there's a business here somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I went to work with another partner. We started something called Media Sales Training Systems. And we would do seminars. And, and then we started doing one-day traveling seminars. And it was just, you know, it just happened. What year was that? Uh, 81. 81. So that's when you decided, I can take this. I want to be in this business. You and I had a conversation probably a year ago about sales training and being that presenter that comes in. And you said something along the lines of, you've got to be very polished with your routine and know your, not necessarily your jokes, but your points of to insert some humor and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about why that presentation part is so important? Well, when you're a public speaker, I'll I'll go back one notch, because I was a a member of the National Speakers Association for years, and the joke was, uh, do you have to be funny to be a professional speaker? No, only if you want to get paid. That's that's what you (laughs) said. And then uh, the other line is, it's easier to get a new audience and come up with a new speech. So you've got to be willing to do the same speech hundreds of times. And it gets to be where, well, the other thing is you've got to involve the audience every eight or nine minutes with a discussion, with a game, with, with some kind of a story. Just not lecture. For, I used to do six-hour seminars, 13 a month, 10 weeks a year, 10 months a year. And I did that for 15 years, so 130 seminars a year. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I was young. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. I was thinking about this on the way over here. Six-hour seminars all day, you know, you, you do nine to noon and then break for lunch and one to four, get on a plane, go to the next town. And the last time I went to Australia, they called me and said, we want you to come over and we're having the, our radio advertising bureau conference to, nationwide. 
uh, John Cleese is going to be the keynote speaker, but we want you to open. Oh. <laughs> I said, well, what do you need? They said, 45 minutes. I said, you want, you want me to fly 17 and a half hours there and back for 45 minutes? Yep. Wow. And that's when I realized that uh, short attention span training had arrived. People don't want all day. Mm-hmm. People don't even want an hour Zoom anymore. That's how it's changed your presentation business, your training business. Because going to a different market every, every other day, I guess, was almost like a stand-up comedian. You're out using the same material. Same material, same session. So how's it changed today? Is it mainly the—I'm talking pre-COVID. Was it changing pre-COVID? Uh, in the early 2000s, we did a—no, it was in, it was in late 1990s. Uh, the Canadian Radio Marketing Bureau uh, came to us and said, we need to do a certification course because the new president had come into this association and he'd done a survey of buyers and agencies and, he, and they said, radio is by far the worst trained yeah. salespeople. So we want to train these people to a standard. You would be the trainer and we'll be the certifying body. And we trained over 2,200 Canadian radio salespeople in about 10 years. That was just binders and cassettes. And then we'd sold it to the uh, Radio Advertising Bureau here in New York. And we trained another 10,000 people. That got translated into some language, different languages. And, and so we became a publishing business in the late 90s. And the speaking business was now just fun because I didn't have to do 130 a year. I could do 50. I could. You could pick 20. and choose. And I've done three this year. Just since the beginning of the year? Yeah. How did the internet change what you were teaching, or uh, did it? No, it, it doesn't change the principles, but it certainly changes the dynamic because you're doing so many things on Zoom. And I, and I did an online seminar yesterday, and there were just you know, 20 or 25 people on it who are clients and radio partners of the Plan Z diet. I had these people on the call, and this, I, I said, what's your name? Is it Liza or Lisa? She said, it's Lisa. I said, Lisa, where are you? Who do you work for? She said, I'm in Eugene, Oregon. And I thought, we don't have any radio partners. <laughs> she said, I work for Jay Chapman in uh, Muncie. And so she's selling radio advertising in Eugene, Oregon for a Indiana station. And she's in Eugene where she wants to be as opposed to Muncie, Indiana. But the internet hasn't changed, as you said, the principles of what you're teaching. It's changed the radio business. It's changed the television business. Sure. But the principles of selling stay the same. So you're able to continue to teach that. Yeah, you teach that. And really, the things that are big right now are detachment. You're not attached to the outcome. You just have to try to help the person and give off that intention, you know, give off that vibe. And then if you can help them, try to, you know, here's a presentation. And I, I ran across a trainer, and he's on YouTube a lot, but he's a British guy named Phil Jones, Phil M. Jones. And he says, selling is earning the right to make a recommendation. And so you've got to earn the right by discovering what the outcome the client's looking for and then make a recommendation. So most of what you do now is via Zoom, the web. I put together a two to seven minute, not a podcast, but a call them knowledge bites. Yeah. The big idea, <laughs> I was doing a seminar at a conference I was a breakout session speaker, but they had standing room only. They had the room set for 75, but 300 people were lining the walls, and I did 45 minutes around. Laughs, and I just nailed this speech. I was so excited to be in front of that many people at that point in my career. 
And people came up to me and said, nice speech, Chris, nice speech. And the seventh person said, well, you know, that was a good speech, Lytle, but I got to tell you, I learn more at the bar after these seminars <laughs> than I do, and I do from any of you speakers. I said, really? He said, yeah, because I meet with my partner, and he's gone to some seminars at the conference. I've gone to some seminars. We compare notes. We say, what do we think we learned? How can we take it back? And how many things can we take back? Because we can't change 22 things when we get back you know, from a conference. Yeah. We got to present this to our sellers and get them to buy into two or three improvements. Mm -hmm. And so until I've discussed it and beat it up and talked about it with somebody else, I haven't learned anything. And, and so my thing is listen to the knowledge bite and then have a conversation about it. And it becomes more like a master's class at college where you're a pre-learner. You come to the class, you've already read the material and you talk about it with the professor and the other students and you don't get lectured to in a big lecture hall. Uh, you know, like you're a freshman. How can people subscribe to that? Just go to instantsalestraining.com and uh, there's a three-minute video explains everything. There's a free sample called uh, Four Minutes to Stronger Closing. If you do these two or three things on that, on the free sample, people will never get ghosted again. And it applies to all industries. Yeah, it's it's not just broadcasting because I know you've worked with a lot of different industries. Yeah, it applies to uh, any B2B. Okay. Yeah. Outside of the training aspect, I want to talk to you a little bit about media. You've been in media mm -hmm. a long time. Give me your impressions of where we were when you started in the 70s, where radio was a beast, television was a beast, and newspaper was the gorilla, you know? We were terrified of the newspaper, and the yellow pages were. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. These people would just spend all this money in the yellow pages, and wow. So, yeah, you could go in— and you could get results for people. You could reach a lot more people. And then, you know, there was the deregulation in the Carter administration where they added 3,000 more signals. Mm -hmm. And then everybody tried to bring their small market signal into a bigger market. And then there was uh, consolidation in the late 1990s. And so now you have people with eight or nine stations or, you know, four or five stations in a market. It's even worse now. You've got three or four companies with uh, 200 stations each. Yeah. So it, that's all changed. And I was talking to a guy, um, Kentuckian, in a Bowling Green. So, mm -hmm. uh, a decent size. And, and he said, I've got seven people selling 23 different products at my radio station. You know, I've got five stations. I've got Western Kentucky sports. <laughs> I've got digital. And, you know, we had in Madison, Wisconsin, when I was a sales manager, there were 12 sellers selling two stations. That's it. We didn't have anything else to sell, so that's what we sold. But when you got 23 things to sell, it's hard. And what's your advice in that? Because I came from a, a television group where we had three affiliations and digital and eight salespeople, and you're selling those three affiliations digital for each of those and, and everything else that goes with it. Well, the best model I've seen is a Canadian client of mine up in small market, and they take a specialist with a salesperson every time they sell digital. They don't go out alone and do it. Four-legged call? Yeah. And they're kicking, but it's half of their revenue. Speaking of kicking, but just because we're in a little bit of a tenuous economic situation, and you've seen these recessions come and go, what's your recommendation to salespeople when we get into tough economic times? Uh, I think the best advice is to look for your ideal clients. Don't just try to fill your pipeline up with anybody that will talk to you. You really need to say, I got to target these people. I got to give resources to this kind of client who has money and who is going to make it through. 
and focus on those types. Too often, salespeople just panic and try to sell anybody anything they can. And that's when you really have to focus. And is that because they're spending way too much time for an outcome that may not be great? Yeah. I mean, you know, I always told people I'd rather have one $5,000 sale than 10 $500 sale. You really have to focus. And, and you mentioned four-legged calls. And the research is that if more than one person in the company has seen the prospect during the sales cycle, the odds of closing go up exponentially because they realize there's something behind this. It's not just the salespeople. And if you can get people to your facility, oh goodness, it's magic. Yeah. I used to tell my salespeople, particularly in television, but it was true in radio too, that you've got to get the clients in because television is show business. It's magic. Yeah. And if we could get them in not just to the building and into the conference room, but to give them a tour of the studio and the news facility. That business owner is going to go home and say, you know where I was today? <laughs> I was in Channel 9 Studios. At, and you know what that weather wall is? It's really just a green screen, and there's nothing. It's amazing. And I'm at the sportscaster. And I- yeah, absolutely. In a town like Chattanooga, I'll tell you a real quick story. The station had a host who started out at the station being the host of Romper Room in 1962. So Miss Marshall, Marshall Kling, was an icon in this market. And I've got a client in and uh, touring him on the, the station. And we go into the newsroom and he looks at me and he goes, is, is that Miss Marsha? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's Marsha Kling. Would you like to meet her? Oh, I was on her show when I was six. <laughs> yeah, I would love to meet her. There is that local connection. Yeah, it's huge. Well, I wrote about uh, touring the Waterford Crystal Plant in my book. <laughs> and, and, you know, we were in Ireland doing something, a seminar, I'm sure. And Sarah said, we've got to go to Waterford. And I said, do we really need more crystal? <laughs> she says, yes, it'll be on, you know, it'll, it'll be discounted there. Well, you have to go through the tour. You go to the gift shop and there's no discounts. Just like Disney, they yeah. feed you out into it's the just like, kitchen. holy mackerel. Yeah. And it's not discounted because they've shown you how they apprentice and how you have to make this bowl in order to even get a job. And it's your trophy bowl or your, your, mm-hmm. your graduation bowl. And they just tell you how all the processes, and then they drop you off in the gift shop and you just say, wow, I got to get some of this. And it's full price. So anytime you can get people on your turf, think of the bourbon trail. They do the same thing there. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great point because otherwise you're just a salesperson out there representing this thing they can't see, they can't, they're not part of, and they, they're having to trust you. Yeah, I mean, you'd take someone in the radio business, you know, you'd take them into the studio and they'd meet a morning man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've heard you. And and you have their name on, on a plaque when they walk in the door. You know, that's one of the, I think, challenges today with consolidation with automation is you can't go in and meet the morning man. No. And 10 out of 10 stations, you might meet one. The rest are all automated. Let's talk a little bit about how you ended up in Chattanooga. So you, you were in Madison, Wisconsin. 30 then, years I was in Madison, 30 Wisconsin. years. Then you were in Chicago. 15 years in Chicago. And now you're in Chattanooga. How do you end up in Chattanooga? I ended up in Chattanooga because I spoke at the uh, Tennessee Broadcasters in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. And Sarah and I had been in Chattanooga one time on the way to Highlands, North Carolina. And we just stayed here up by the mall. And uh, she looked out the windows. We were driving away. And she said, that's a cute little town. And so the next time I did a Tennessee Broadcasters meeting, she said, why don't we spend the weekend in Chattanooga? And we were on the North Shore. And she was sitting there saying, 
there was a ceiling fan on the porch, and she said, I could live like this. <laughs> and, it, you know, the cost of living, the lack of state income tax, the weather. I don't know. I have no snow shovel, and it's, it's wonderful. Well, it's not hard to compete with Chicago's weather, you know. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here because that's how I got reconnected with you. I went to your seminar in 1987. I'm obviously in Chattanooga. I find out you're here. We were able to connect with that. Yeah, it's uh, four years last month. Wow, you're a Chattanoogan now. So I want to tell a Chattanooga story. Sarah and I were at High Five Clyde's, and we are sitting at the bar in kind of the corner over to the right. And this one guy was looking at this uh, Premier League game. He was just an avid fan. He was just so wrapped up in it. And we were, I said, well, what's that team? I didn't even recognize the name of the team. And he always said, it's this. And they're just outside of London. And I said, how do you know so much about uh, Premier League? He said, well, I, I used to work in Germany for the company. And we'd take Ryanair over to England <laughs> on the weekends, and we watched Premier League. And he said, I just started loving it. I watch it all the time. And I did, that's really how I became a fan. And so that got us talking about all the places we'd been in England. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've been to that. Oh, yeah, Leicester. Yeah, sure, we've been there. Manchester. Oh, yeah, of course, we've been there. Leeds. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've been there. So how'd you get to so many places? I said, well, I did seminars at all those places. <laughs> he said, what did you do seminars on? I said, how to sell broadcast advertising. And he was just like, how would you do that? <laughs> and, and, and he said, I've got a Ph.D. in nuclear engineering. <laughs> and he said, Sometimes they want me to go out and talk to customers with the sales people. He said, I'm terrified. And I said, uh, it's not that bad. And he said, well, what's your method? And now I'm in a bar, yeah, yeah. and the guy wants to pick my brain. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to give you uh, one sentence. I said, your intention has to be to see if you can help the customer, not to help yourself by selling them something. And his eyes got real wide. He said, that's brilliant. And I said, yeah, I wrote a book called The Accidental Salesperson. <laughs> and, he goes, and he goes, looks on Amazon on his phone. He said, you're Mr. Chris Light. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. He said, I just bought your book. Oh, that's great. And I said, I just made 50 cents of oil. <laughs> See, Chattanooga's paying for itself already. That's a great story. Thank you. A couple more questions for you. In terms of what you're doing now, You've got a base in Chattanooga. How much are you getting out and doing in-person seminars? You said you did a few already this year. I just do a few, and uh, I'm not marketing them anymore. I'll be 80 in seven years. And I've done so many, I don't need to do them. But I, I love to do them if somebody wants to you know, call me, I'll do it. Do you get an adrenaline rush from the feedback, having a crowd? Uh, it's much different than a Zoom you get applause, you get feedback, you can see people taking notes, nodding their head, or you can see when they're bored. Yeah. <laughs> and it, when you're doing online stuff, you don't know if people are texting. You don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And so there's an energy that you can't get anywhere else but in front of a live audience. And I, that's still a thrill. Last question for you. Think about when you were 25. What would you tell yourself is important for a happy life? I would tell myself, um, find something you love to do and find someone you really love. <laughs> Go into business with her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sarah McCann is my partner and wife, and she ran that business. And I could just go out and think about the speech. Talk a little bit about that, because you and I have had that conversation before, how Sarah really was the organizational 
part of the speech and it allowed you to do what you do best. Yeah, I mean, she ran the back end and I was the you know, talent, but she talked to the lawyers, the accountants, she hired the people, she trained the salespeople, she managed the operation and it got, you know, it got to be uh, 28, 29 people back in Madison. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but now you remember in radio, we used to go to the bus station and get tapes. Yeah. From the agency in Nashville, or in my case, the Milwaukee agency. And now you just you record something, put it on an MP3, and send it to people. So it's just so many things you can do. Because I remember she said to me, uh, I, I hope someday we'll get a loading dock <laughs> <laughs> because we were shipping all these manuals. And now you don't, you know, you don't ship anything. No, you don't. You know, we even in the broadcast station had a runner. You know, someone to pick up the tape from whatever production house was doing it and get it back to the station it changed tremendously. Well, Chris, I'm glad you're here in Chattanooga. I'm really glad we were able to reconnect. I always find our conversations about shop to be extremely interesting. It's always fun to trade war stories. It is. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.